Hello and welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken joined down the line by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Not too bad at all. How are you? Yes, good. Thank you very much. All the better for that victory on Saturday afternoon. 3-2 to Huddersfield Town after they had gone behind. It was a weird game, wasn't it, Dave? I think it's fair to say. Mm. Yeah, I tweeted after that Town were absolutely rotten for half an hour. Then okay then good, then okay, then not good, then okay, then good, and then okay, all in the same game. Mm. And I, weirdly, I mean, we'll get into it, but weirdly, I don't think there's a real explanation for why we had, you know, four seasons in one day in that game. (laughs) Yeah, it was a a strange one. I think you're absolutely right. The first sort of half an hour or so was was about as bad as we've seen them this season, to be perfectly it honest. Was Jan, it was Jan Siever bad. Yeah. Uh, it re- I mean, we were tearing our hair out, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 was, it, was, it was awful. I mean, you had Backer just throwing, taking a throw-in straight to a Middlesbrough player, Hogg passed it out for a throw-in twice. Um, nobody was making any runs. Defensively, they were all over the place. It was awful, but in football, you only need something to break your way once, and that's it. You're you're back in the game, you know, and that's how it proved. Yeah, I mean, possibly even arguably twice because British Tumbalonga came up with probably the miss of the season. My my wife was watching that game, and she she said, "Well, was it was it the conditions? Um, you know, was it the fact it was so wet?" But I don't think it's even that. I mean, maybe it meant that he slid a bit further than he was maybe anticipating, but. Even still, any any touch puts that in, and the touch yeah, you put on it somehow any... looped it up over the bar. But oh, there was also the chance before that where he completely scuffed his shot going for the near post. Mm. When um, was it? I can't remember who it was. I think it was the left back that had bombed on a bowler who was on the ground, possibly or might have been Tavernier. And he had he tried to sort of hit it over them and go for the near post, and the far post was right there. So it was like. 12 minutes in, and me and you were both like, they could be 3-0 down here quite easily. Yeah. But they weren't, and that's what's important, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we were, and I was sort of mentally composing <laughs> a bit of a, a bashing for them, to be honest, at that point. And, you know, you had that, that moment as well. There were a couple of moments where they were playing out from the back and taking completely unnecessary risks. And we'll, we'll probably talk about Giannino Bakuna a bit later, but... It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't just him in that opening period. It was. It was. A, although it was especially him, but it was a, a a bit of everyone. But then, as you say, they they got the the next goal. It was it was Carolyton who scored again. Uh, his third goal in four games, which is pretty impressive for a midfielder who we well for any midfielder and for any player in this division really. Um, almost the same finish as he as he applied against Stoke just sort of passing it into not even the bottom corner because Bettinelli was coming across his goal probably should have done better with it in truth but he didn't have to find the corner because Bettinelli was coming across from the far post and and had to just uh he had to just find the middle of the goal as it turned out but yeah I mean we should probably pause on Aiton for a moment because he's in decent form at the moment isn't he Yeah, he was. I mean, again, weirdly, he'd been completely anonymous until Mm. that point. Um, He'd not done anything, and then he came alive for a bit, and he he did. Um, 
I think this league is a very, very difficult league when you consider where he's come from. He wasn't an Ajax regular by any means, but he was playing for their um, their B team or their their B team Ajax level Jongen. team. Yeah, I should say yes, yeah. Um, and it's a very different type of football, and it's a very different league, and you haven't got. You know, midfielders, the likes of sort of Savile and House and thundering in at you left, right and centre. So he's still adapting, he's still learning. I think the signs are quite good that he, he I think there's still a, I think there's still a way to go. Um, he's found his scoring touch, which is good, but I'd like to see him do a little bit more with the ball. I'd like to see him be a bit more proactive because he, he can get trapped into a little bit of taking the easy ball. And really he... He looks like the player, the player that Town want to start taking the risks, um, and it, it's yeah. But I, I, I like him. I think he's he's fitted in well, and I think he's obviously a, a now. You know, you would argue he's possibly one of the sort of four or five first names on the team sheet, isn't he? Without a shadow of a doubt. But I thought there were a couple of things to note in that goal. The first thing was. Hog getting in and actually recycling the ball properly. So mm. instead of just trying to make the challenge, he gets in there and plays that really good ball into Karoma. And that's all about getting your head up and having a look and seeing the bigger picture there. And he did that really, really well. And then Karoma actually works himself into the position where he actually scores the third goal from. But this time he sees Iting and lays it across to him and, uh, you know, results the same ultimately. But that goal came out of nothing. Yeah, it it really did come out of nothing, and it's just weird how football works sometimes. Yeah, I, I thought that that just before that they they had two really really long passing moves that eventually didn't didn't really result in anything, and they ended up just sort of getting losing the ball out on the wings, which is fair enough, you know that that that's not really a criticism. It, it's just that you know they were trying to get it down the flanks and it didn't quite come off, but. I think those passing moves just allowed them to to take a put a little bit of control on the game because it had been all middles were all one way traffic up until that point and and you know Town had barely had a sniff and I just think that that getting on the ball and not even particularly going for goal or trying to sort of force it or anything but just staying in possession for that period probably helped them a bit. Um, it's a criticism that we've had of them is that they've had that sterile possession, but I think actually at that point it was what they needed just to sort of take control of the game and, and, and take a bit of the bit of the pace out of Middlesbrough, a bit of the momentum out of Middlesbrough and uh, and put things back in their own favour. Yeah, and I think Edmunds Green coming on changed the game for them, I really do. And like it's a bit of a cliche, me praising Edmunds Green on this podcast, <laughs> but I think Stearman and Asamba Longa basically decided they were going to fight each other through that game, and Asamba Longa was winning. Um, there was no chance of Stearman being able to use his pace to dig him out of any holes. So he, he literally went one-on-one with him and they just spent half an hour wrestling. And Sumbalonga is a good forward. You know, he's a very canny, uh, very intelligent forward. And I wouldn't say he had Stearman in his pocket or anything like that, but Stearman was struggling. But then Edmund Green came on and he just had so much more pace for one thing. Um, but also he was just much more comfortable on the ball. So he, you know, he wasn't as worried by the press. Stearman, I think, still had that Stoke goal in his mind a little bit, if mm. I'm honest. Um, and Edmunds Green came on and just, it just looked so much better at the back almost instantly. And 
you know, like I, I'm, I'm an Edmonds Green booster. I have been for a long time. I've been since last season. But I think you got a flavour of what he can do, um, and I think he. I think he keeps that place. I, I, Stearman looked like his hammy went to me. Have you had an update this morning on that? We have, yeah. So, yeah, it was his hamstring, and he's probably going to be out for sort of 10 days to, to two weeks, but he's having a scan. As as of time of recording, the latest is that he's having a scan, um, and it depends what that scan says, but that that's what they're sort of expecting to get back from it. Um, Christopher Schindler mm-hmm. could be back against Cardiff, though. He's He, he is also having a test. Um, at the time that Corbrand spoke to us, he was having his his final concussion test, and if he passes that, then he's back in training today, and will be back in contention for for the squad tomorrow. I I would keep Edmund Green in there. Would you really? I would. I would. You know, as I said, it's a bit of a cliche for me to praise him, but I, I he had one moment which we'll talk about later on, um, which I think was more down to the conditions than anything else. But apart from that, he didn't put a foot wrong. I, there was not much more he could have done there. And I think, like, <laughs> I can't I can't really say this without it sound like I'm putting one player down over the other, and that's not what I mean. But I think you probably saw on Saturday that while Critchlow is uh, a good player and a good prospect... I think Edmunds Green is just a couple of steps further along the line. I think he's just yeah. more, he's more accomplished. He's better on the ball. He, I've I've talked about on this podcast before that he, you look at some young players and you just know they've got it in their brain. They don't have to work hard at the the natural instincts they need to be a good defender. And you can tell with Edmunds Green, he just knows where to go. There, there are a couple of times where Sombolonga tried to run him, but Edmunds Green had already taken that couple of paces back just to give himself a head start which he probably didn't need anyway in truth and he just snuffed the danger out in an instant you know so I as much as I like Schindler I think when you've got Saar who is prone to the odd moment I think what you want is a defender who you can sort of rely on to be a 7 or 8 out of 10 and just be very neat and tidy and Schindler at the moment is not quite the player he was, as we know. And I just think with this massive run of games coming up, give Edmunds Green another game. I mean, he's not. I'm not saying give him the next 10 or anything like that, but I, I think when he's played as well as that, keep him in the side, give him another game. I think the things that sort of mainly go in his favour, as you say, it's what one is his recovery pace and his reading of the game. And I think especially when, when Pippa's out injured, which he is going to be for the Cardiff game, you that is not a, a back four. I mean, obviously you've got Toffolo and and Bakuna are uh, you know no slouches themselves, but I think Pippa brings that extra bit of pace that he is able to get across from right back, uh, probably mm. better than anyone else on that pitch. And and without him there, you are you are at risk of getting exposed by uh, a ball in behind. I mean, will another one of the the, the the goal they scored Middlesbrough was almost exactly the same as the one that Stoke scored the second goal against Stoke and if you go on the five conclusions I've actually put screenshots side by side it's almost exactly the same goal um, whereas I think if Edmunds Green is there then, then just that transition is that much harder for the opposition the other thing is that as you say, Edmunds Green is good on the ball and he there was one moment where he got forward and, and pinged the ball across to Campbell inside the box and Campbell sort of chested it down and then, unfortunately, his finish, he sort of shanked it wide. But he, um, I think he slipped as he was trying to take it, but it was a lovely pass and shows what he can do. I mean, I know that when he was at Brighouse, which is obviously a completely different level, but it, they did play him in midfield because he does have that. He is a, you know capable on the ball. 
He, I think what was interesting is we all laughed earlier in the season about Richard Stearman careering up the right wing. Mm. But the the overlapping centre-backs thing that Sheffield United originated in this, in this league, like Middlesbrough had Paddy McNair, who was doing that all game. He was carrying the ball into midfield and he was getting wide predominantly on the left mm. and he was taking all their free kicks and corners. Now, I'm not saying Edmunds Green is like going to go on free kicks and corners instantly, but I think they've seen signs that Corbyn would quite like to investigate the possibility of that system, particularly when you've got a Jonathan Hogg who is happy to drop in when required mm-hmm. as well and has improved on the ball as well. So... I just wonder if Edmunds Green is the player they can look at if they wanted to go down that route a little bit more. Um, yeah. But I just, I, I think that, I think with Critchlow, people he was good against Forest, but people forgot he was really bad against Rochdale. Mm. And I, I think with Edmunds Green that I don't think you're going to get a Rochdale performance from him because he's had that time at Swindon and he's yeah. just had a little bit more time in a stadium on a pitch playing with full time you know with with the highest level etc available so yeah I thought it was I thought it was really really good and I I actually thought he worked pretty well with Sarah I mean there was one point that I absolutely loved where there was a I think Middlesbrough were breaking down the right and Edmunds Green was screaming at Sarah to get back in position and I thought yeah that's Young defender turning around and telling the inadvertent commas experienced defender on the pitch to get back into something position. I thought, yeah, that's that's a lad who who knows knows what he wants. Put it that way. Was, but yeah, I, I'm I'm a booster. I'm a fan. I'm a mm. cheerleader. Well, this is the other thing is that for all these, he is capable on the ball. He came on and the stats suggest he was taking a bit of a safety first approach. He was top of the pile for clearances. His his, his pass completion was was uh, not fantastic and he was mostly just sort of getting rid of it and playing the passes when he needed to, um, which I think is exactly the right approach when you're coming on for your first start of the season, bearing in mind he's mm. barely played um, even for the B team because he's had a hip injury and I think that showed and just did, that's sort of probably the, the bigger worry is just that he, he came on and, and had cramp having only played about 50 minutes. Um, so that that's a bit of a, a concern. Uh, understandable given that he's barely played, but I think that's maybe one reason why you don't necessarily uh, start him against Cardiff, to be honest. But he, as you say, when you've got Saar, who's such a, a confident ball player who also likes to get into the opposition half, I think you can afford to have a a, a defender who is maybe a bit more safety first. I think that's that's not mm. really an issue. Um, and I think is completely what, agree. And I think is what was needed against Borough. Um, we could sit and talk about this. Isn't Ramani Edmund's Green podcast? So we should. Uh, we that's should... something I'm launching separately. <laughs> so we should probably... regcast. <laughs> yeah, regcast. We should probably move on. Uh, Fraser Campbell got the the second goal. Uh, very lucky finish. What a finish! What a finish! <laughs> I think he hit I, it I was, off the inside of his other leg, didn't he? Yeah. If uh, so, somebody was claiming on WhatsApp to us that they thought he uh, he meant it and he meant to dink it and go inside the near post, absolute codswallop. <laughs> and if, if if anybody does believe that, go and watch his celebration where he's quite clearly telling his teammates, "Yeah, stinky. don't know what happened there." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's yes. doing the stinky, stinky hand yeah. and face waft. 
But you see, when when you've had half an hour of being absolutely rotten, and then you get a goal out of nowhere, like they did with Iting's goal, that's what happens. Sometimes you do get the break of the ball starts going for you and that's exactly what happened with town there are a couple of situations where suddenly the ball wasn't landing at a Middlesbrough player's feet and yeah they all count don't they <laughs> yeah um on the subject of Fraser Campbell Corbran went out of his way to to praise him um for for his role in Iten's goal even though he didn't actually touch the ball he was talking about how he had the no, good his sense. Movement was good. Yeah, his movement pulled the defender away from mm. I think. Um and you know, Warnock was was saying that was a mistake for on their part, but uh and I'm sure if we were doing a Middlesbrough podcast we'd be talking about that. But it was great movement from Campbell. There, there was a really interesting piece that I read uh on uh on the Athletic with uh with Gary Lineker where he was going through a, a load of his goals and he was he was talking about how sometimes as a centre forward you make runs that are no good for you but will create space for other people. And and I think Campbell does an awful lot of that. Um and it doesn't necessarily always get noticed, which is yeah, something this I'll be looking at myself. This isn't Campbell cast. <laughs> but, as much as I'm a Reg fan, you're a massive Fraser Campbell fan, aren't you? Yeah. Well I th- I think I think sometimes I think there's especially a difference as well when you're watching games on TV to watching them in the ground, um, and certain players like, for instance, the fans. I think watching at home thought and Benza had a, a a really good game. I thought he was fine, but not amazing. And and I think there's been other other occasions this season where the opposite has been the case, and a player we thought has been really good, it hasn't come across on TV because you're not seeing those. You're not seeing those runs or those little movements that help make space for other people, and I think Campbell yeah. is is sometimes is quite often that player. Um, yeah, he's doing things off the ball that are helping create space for others. Um, but no, it was a it was a, as you say a bit fortuitous, and and we've talked about scoring just before half time recently, but um, it gave Town the momentum going into the break and meant that they could set back up at half time and. And to be fair, they just kept doing what they were doing. And I, I don't think... It, I think at, at half-time, I said to you, I've absolutely no idea how they're winning that game. But no. but by the final whistle, they deserve to win, to be fair. They were they were the better team in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> I can't... I, I think in terms of deserve to win, I keep going back to just how bad they were in that half an hour. But oh, yeah. Yeah, I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't argue with that. They, they were... Their sort of average over the second half was okay to good, I would say. Um, Which is all it needed to be, given they were already ahead. Yeah, and conditions were worsening. You know, the rain was tipping down, the pitch was a bit of a nightmare, so it was one of them games you just sort of had to try and get through. But, you know, yet again, slight worry that they just didn't create enough big chances to sort of put it to bed before having to recover after conceding the penalty. And... Like I, I've seen a lot of town fans have said, oh, I definitely want a penalty. I think it was a penalty, if I'm brutally honest with you. Um, I, I think the problem with that challenge is in those conditions, like if you're going to slide, you've got to get it absolutely perfect. And I think he does clip to a Sumberlonga's heels. There's no doubting. I mean, he goes down like, mm-hmm. you know, incredibly easy. But if you see a leg coming across you like that, and the ball is nowhere near you. I'm sorry, as a striker, you are gonna you're gonna take the opportunity to go down there, and I just 
I think if that that happens ten times again in the game, then ten penalties get given. I, I, it's a penalty to me. I'm less convinced than you. Um, I can, I, I, it. I watched the replay. I didn't think it was a penalty the first time I saw it, um, and I didn't think it was the next sort of two or three times I saw it. But there's one angle that suggests that he might have caught a Sambalonga's heel with his with his trailing mm. foot. Um, so, but I, I agree. I mean, it's a, if the striker feels that touch, yeah. like he's going down. And if if that's Fraser Campbell at the other end and Paddy McNair sliding across him like that, and he's going down and hitting the deck, there's not a town fan in the country who's saying, "Oh, that wasn't a penalty." <laughs> I tell you now. <laughs> the other thing is that, as Warnock pointed out, and I think we missed this. Um, they should have had a penalty in about the 95th minute. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't miss this. Edmunds this is what Green. I was talking about. This was the moment earlier that I was talking about Gedman's Green. That was an absolute stonewaller. The, what helped him there enormously was the linesman's position. He he could he could not see that properly. And he thought... The only explanation was he thought he got a touch on the ball. Johnson takes the shot... Schofield palms it out, um, does okay with it, not brilliantly with it. Um, and Edmunds Green comes across and slides into, uh, I think, I can't remember, it, it might have been the Sumbalonga actually, slid in to try and get the ball and just put it out, gets nowhere near it. No, I mean, it, it's, it, and a Sumbalonga goes down, he's nowhere, neither of them get a touch on the ball. And I mean, it was an absolute stone. Yeah, absolutely, that. 100%. But there you go. But you know that was that was the Edmunds Green moment I was talking about. But I think that was just at that point the rain was absolutely tipping down. And if you go to ground, like that's that's a young player who thinks he's going to win it, completely forgetting the fact that he's playing on an ice rink. Mm. And it was just yeah, I mean it absolutely was a penalty that. But again, when you get some games just turn, don't they? And you just get the breaks, you just get the run of the ball. Yeah. And to be fair, it was it was Edmonds Green was was pressuring one of your favourite players, Chuka Ratpom, uh on the halfway line. Uh he was again we've talked Express and Legend. <laughs> we've talked about him filling in um you know, he came across to basically fill in at right back um, while Town were getting back in position, put Akpom under pressure. And that meant that, I mean, it's not the entire reason, because to be honest, it was a rubbish pass even considering. But he tries to spray a ball out to the right wing. It's straight to Toffolo. Um, and Toffolo just pings it up the left wing for Karoma. Not the first time that game that he, that, that Toffolo, instead of, we know he's a player who likes to dribble, but there are a couple of times in this game where he just looked up and saw Karoma's run and just found him with a, a brilliant, perfectly weighted pass. And Karoma got into the box. And I think sort of five games ago, he puts that shot into the defender's shins. Um, mm. But he took his time, stayed calm, took an extra touch and then just walloped it into the bottom corner. It was a really, really good goal from him. But I think having that situation on the first goal helped him because where he cut inside, I think the defender was having to keep one eye open to see if there was an Iting or an O'Brien, you know, charging into that same position on the edge of the box. And it just opened out for him. And yeah, it was great finish into that bottom corner. Um, it was good to see the celebration after. Obviously, him and Mbenza have got a pretty good relationship mm. now, which is it's good to see from Mbenza's point of view because he's often looked extremely lonely out there on the pitch before and after games as well. So it was good to it was good to see that. But yeah, it was 
it was a good goal and I think we've talked about Karoma being a project worth sticking to and you can see the you can see the improvements. The only thing I would say is that I just it's this run of games. He he's a still a young player who's never sort of played uh, a full season without having one or two injury problems, etc. I just hope he doesn't start picking up strains and pulls because it's town really need him, really, really well, need him. He's become like I mean, he's top scorer and he's also become just so incredibly important to the way they attack. Yeah, and it was clear that they missed him against against Wickham uh, when he did have that that little injury. Um, and I mean, I I pulled the stats on this. Uh, for the five conclusions, actually, that when they've played the front three of Mbenza, Karoma and Campbell, they've scored 10 goals in six, in those six games. And mm. when they've not played them, they've scored 18-8. And I know that those are small sample sizes, but that is 67% more goals when you've got them in the front three as opposed to any other combination. So it's clear that that, that, <laughs> that is head and shoulders the, the best front three they've got at the moment. And I know that Danny Ward was signed to be the first choice, but I think as it stands, it's going to be difficult for him to get in there, to be honest. Well, you say that, but it's this run, isn't it? There's no way Campbell is going to be able to play every game in December. No chance. Uh, he's He's going to need... I would suggest he's probably going to need to not start at least two games, mm. possibly even three. If they stick Karoma through the middle, then I think we have to say Ward has quite clearly gone backwards. And he's just barely getting any time through the middle. I mean, like, every time he comes on, he seems to be shoved one way, one side or the other. And I know he was a winger, but, you know, he has done his best work over the last season and a half as a striker. So it, he just really didn't need that injury, did he? That was the problem. Moving to a new club and playing once in a rotten game where they're trying to adapt and everything was just mm. whizzing by him, and then picking up the in, the injury was just a bit of a killer for him, really. But he, he will get time over December, Steve, without a shadow of a doubt. He'll have to. He'll have to. Yeah, you, you mentioned Lewis O'Brien a moment ago as well, and worth picking out his his role in the second goal and Fraser Campbell's goal because it was, you know, Campbell was the one who got on the score sheet, but you you almost need to put Lewis O'Brien's name next to his um, because it was him that mm. won the ball in the middle and and covered basically half it's the good, pitch. It, it was good to see him carrying the ball again. Mm. To be honest, he 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 reminded me the way. The way he won that and carried it out of midfield, he only had one thing on his mind, which was to get forward and to try and open up that space in front of him. He actually reminded me of Emil Smith-Rowe. It was a very mm. Smith-Rowe-type move. And then a nice ball. He actually, he, to be honest with you, he forced Campbell to have to come in because he just slightly under-hit it, which meant Campbell had to take mm. that touch to come inside when I, I think he would have quite liked to take it in his stride. But... It's good to see Lewis O'Brien getting back to being Lewis O'Brien. Yeah, exactly, because he he did struggle a little bit, understandably, after he came back from injury, and and mm. and they, to be honest, they we've talked about the midfield and and how much they've sort of struggled and and struggled for cohesion. I think we're starting to see signs of it coming together at points in games. Um, you know, with that midfield three of, of Iting, Hogg and O'Brien, I mean, they they were pretty... This wasn't the best example of it, to be perfectly honest, but we saw a bit of something from, from all three of them at various points, and a couple of those moments led to goals. Yeah, they're, they're, I think one of the things you were... <laughs> 
when you were crowdsourcing your five conclusions <laughs> <laughs> after, I think one of the things we said was just, just about the front three contributing. And the midfield has still got a little way to go, in my humble opinion. I still think it's a little bit of a weakness at the moment. But it was good to see... A, Jonathan Hogg heavily involved in that first goal and winning the ball really well. Lewis O'Brien heavily involved in that second goal. And Iting getting on the score sheet. So, you know, the whole of the front six has contributed one way or the other, um, which hasn't always been the case with Huddersfield Town, I think it would be fair to say. <laughs> yeah, and and it's good to see. I mean, it's it's one of the criticisms we had was just those relationships just weren't there at various points and I think that's kind of understandable when you've got so many new players in the team and and including Mm. sort of almost including and Benton Cromer as new players in in that regard because you know they'd they'd not played with their teammates very much previously last season so um, yeah it it was always going to take time for that to come together Um, and it's it is good to see that, but there's still a way to go. It's still very inconsistent, very chaotic. It's it's <laughs> impossible to tell from one moment to the next what this side are really going to do. Mm. I still, I maintain, I've said it before, I still think this side is going to get beaten quite heavily a couple of times. And I thought, I thought there was a chance it might happen on Saturday um, just because of the way they started. And obviously that first... They got the goal after, was it 15 minutes, something like that, and we both said, bloody hell, they could be, realistically, yeah. they could be 3-0 down here. And I do think that will happen again, but I think another side might actually get the three goals, and then it's nigh on impossible to come back from. But it's positive signs. To see Town turn a game round like that, and to see a game that could have gone a very, very different way, end up in town winning. That's not something I've seen from this side for a long, long time. For a long, long time. They don't do it. That's that's the simple answer. It's because they don't do it. And it's just it's just it's baby steps. So you have to sort of you have to be patient with it. And that's not always easy, particularly after the sort of history of where town have been over the last couple of seasons. But yeah, it's it's coming slowly but surely, but there's still, but there are still issues in this side. Yeah, so right back, <laughs> I assume, mm. is one of the positions you're talking about here in in Pippa's absence. Yeah, because I think that the the problem the problem is Bakuna was had a very Bakuna performance on Saturday in that he drifted through it. I went mad in the press box at one time. I, this was before the goal as well. I was pointing to you to show you. He was just wandering up to the halfway line and Johnson just had the whole flank to himself mm. for about 15 minutes. And it, it's so frustrating. It was serious flow Haddish-Unai vibes. And I just I don't know what the issue is with Bakuna. He's... I don't know what makes Juninho Bakuna switch on. I don't know what gives him the impetus. The it's like he when he comes onto the pitch and they do their little warm up before literally at the start of each half. I don't know if you've noticed this, Steve, but he does anything he can to basically avoid it. <laughs> he, he's it's just it's so frustrating it's so frustrating and they were back on saturday to tell in a 23 year old footballer where to stand on a football pitch mm. and i think it just must be so frustrating for them to have to do that and 
I just don't know if he's a riddle that anyone can solve at this point. It, it, it's... I don't know. I don't know. If you look at some of his individual uh, stats, he it's not great at all. Have you been through these at any point, Steve? I know that he's jewels in particular. Um, you know the 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 tackles and getting past him is so easy for oppositions. He was the worst in the town side, but I suspect Dave that you've got some left to to go through. <laughs> well, it's just I don't want to run through loads and loads of stuff, but if you look at some of the players he plays with. It, the contrast is pretty stark. It, it, like fifty-three percent successful dribbles is. Bear in mind, I am sure he would tell you that carrying the ball is one of the strengths of his game. is is not great. Forty-two percent jewels one, Steve. Which you're right is is nowhere near anywhere else. And he every time he has the ball, fourteen percent of the time he loses it one way or another. So that's in the sort of overall context of his game. And it's it it's not it's not good. Sixty five percent passing accuracy in the opposition half, right? Now I know you want a footballer to take risks in that half, and we talk about you know eternally. This is what we want them to do. But out of that, his crossing success is thirty nine percent, which is actually not too bad compared to some others. But like his other pass percentage is is forty one percent, and it's that's just not good enough you know it's just not good enough and i'm starting to get to the point where i just don't know if if he it really is time to start talking about it's not going to happen at this club ever and it needs he needs to go somewhere else because when he was really really good coming off the on the bench under Danny Cowley for that sort of three or four game spell you know let's be generous and say he had five really good games mm-hmm. we all sat there and thought well this is his this is what he does this is what he's going to do he's going to come off the bench and and be really good in games and be a bit of a game changer but he clearly doesn't like that role that's not what he wants to do he clearly thinks he should be starting and you watched that game on Saturday, Steve, and I mean, he was, there's no other way to put it, he was a weak link, he was a weak yeah. link, and they, Middlesbrough were just attacking down that side for fun, and it was Edmunds Green coming on with a bit of pace to cover how high Bakuna was playing, and the town bench telling him where to stand, telling him to drop deeper telling him to get tighter that changed over the course of 90 minutes but that's the stuff like you should know that coming out onto the pitch if you're playing at right back you should know the basic tenets of being able to defend from that position he's just incredibly frustrating and I don't know what the answer is yeah and as you say he is playing out of position there but it's it's that's we've seen him do this in midfield as well this is the thing Mm. It's not like we've. I think if 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 we hadn't seen that from him so many times, regardless what position he's playing, I think we would be going easy on him and almost sort of ignoring it because it's like, well, it's an in, you know the the first choice right back's injured, he's filling in, he's going to make mistakes, he's not going to be perfect, but it's it's an extension of the same issues that we've seen from him playing in other roles that are meant to be his his preferred positions, and it's just I think it's it's extra frustrating with him I know the fans sort of go mad about Diakabi but for me Bakuna is by far the most frustrating player because with Diakabi you know at, at least to me at least it looks like you know he's trying 
um even if he's mm. even if he's not playing well and even if we think he's you know he's not good enough to play for Seal town he is at least trying whereas bakuna we know he's good enough but he just doesn't seem to make the effort he, he we've watched him warm up and he can do anything you want with a football he can ping it top corner mm. his control is excellent he can carry the ball but he just doesn't it's that classic thing isn't it you know of not he might know all the notes but playing them in the right order is a completely separate thing. And Saturday was, I, I think, <laughs> like privately off mic, I think you've been far more frustrated with him than I have at times. But Saturday was, I'm not going to go like be dramatic as there was a last straw or anything like that, but Saturday I was tearing my hair out with him, particularly for that first half an hour. Yeah. And you shouldn't have to tell a 23-year-old footballer where to stand on a football pitch. Mm. You just, you shouldn't. Yeah, regardless what position they're playing, really. Mm. And yeah, he's he's very frustrating. And I, I agree. I think it's, I mean, to be honest, I was I was past the point of of last draw. To be honest, a few, I think it was the Birmingham game for me, was was sort of the. The, the one where it's like, you know what, I've, I've almost given up on him at this point. I'm, I'm not sure that we're ever going to see him fulfil his potential. Certainly not here. Um, certainly not if he continues as he is. And it, it's, I don't know, it's such a shame. And I can't shake the feeling he goes somewhere, he goes to the right club mm. and looks absolutely outstanding. Yeah. And everybody goes, well, why couldn't you, why couldn't Town do it? But there's just something just doesn't well, click and- there. David Wagner hasn't been able to get it out of him. Jan Siva hasn't been able to get it out of him. Danny Cowley managed it for, as you say, maybe generously five games, but generally speaking, wasn't able to get it out of him. And now Carlos Corbran is struggling no. with it as well. So it's not like they haven't given it a good college And it feels try. like it runs very... Yeah, it, it feels like it runs very counter to what the philosophy of this squad is supposed to be going forward. It It's... It really does feel like not an end is being reached or anything as dramatic as that, but I just literally anybody else at right back when there's a problem now. I I know there's obviously a problem with Dehaney. They don't trust Dehaney enough at the moment, but I I cannot think that his performance would be worse than Bakuna's at the moment. No. I and you, you've got to think about the team as a whole because. I think one of the reasons Stearman was struggling with the Sombolonga and going tight is because he knew there was a great big hole over to his right-hand side there. And he was seriously nervous about a Sombolonga being able to hold the ball up and play anybody into that space. And again, that's very flow had as you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's going back to that, you know, that problem all those months and months ago and that's over a year a great place to be you know no not at all talk about not things not fitting into the philosophy what a segue this is um (laughs) but i mean at the moment everything is very chaotic uh, in terms of results and the way that games are going and the way that games can change from one moment to the next i think that nil nil against wickham is very much the exception to the rule this season it's the only goalless game that town have had it's the only one of the last five where it hasn't been both teams scoring um and you know the the two games either side are a 4-3 and a 3-2 and I think there's probably people saying well you know they're playing attacking football this is what's going to happen I don't think that's the plan at all I don't think they do intend at all 
for it to be a, a both teams to score chaos, let's see what happens result because Carlos Corbran is a very possession-led manager. We know that his first priority when he came into the club was get the team comfortable on the ball, um, as it has been for for you know as it was for weirdly for Mark Hudson uh, last year when he was caretaker manager, and. Uh, they in some respects they're getting there when you look at the possession percentages and you know the fact that they are routinely getting over 60 percent possession now but at the same time they have mad moments where they are not in control of the ball at all um as they did early on here and as they did repeatedly against stoke and i think that's almost the next job for corbran isn't it is try and take that chaos out of the games and try and get the team to exert some modicum of control on games. Yeah, it's for all the steps they've taken, I've yet to see them put a 90 minutes together this season. It's it they play very much in spells, you know, even in the games they've won and that has to be the that has to be the goal because when you when you want to change to a possession based philosophy the whole point of changing to that philosophy is that you do control games from the off and you say you know we're not gonna the opposition haven't got the ball they can't hurt us basically and it is a we've talked before about like what an almighty sea change it is with a squad that i would argue is probably not suited to it particularly either so there's there's steps to be taken there but yeah it's all town are not very calm in anything they do at the moment there's always it always feels a little bit rushed a little bit hurried slightly panicky dare i say which again is it i think is is reflective of a change in philosophy rather than a sort of you know a great big a great big issue in the squad but you just look at their last five results you know lose draw lose draw win and you feel yeah. like it could carry on like that till the end of the season quite easily yeah and this is exactly the point is you know the, the probably the only game where they've had that control and and that that dominance that they want was that Millwall game and and every other game mm. has had some degree of riding luck or being the victims of bad luck or letting teams come into games too easily or it's all uh, it's all very as we've used this phrase a lot this season but everything is still very much a coin flip and when when games descend into chaos it's almost who's who's just going to get the more opportunities through almost through random chance mm. if your fitness is better as towns is and if you are doing everything quicker as town are in those moments those factors come into play and they go an awful long way to to mm. turning games in your regard basically but you're right they do have spells i go back to the preston game where they had that 10 minutes after half time where it just all went wrong yeah. <laughs> you know and it was uh, chaos is the only word for it and that's not the only time that's happened this season and I think Millwall was as close as they've got to a sort of not perfect performance, but mm. where they want to be mm. going forward. They've got to refine that level because they've just lost it again. I don't know if it was the international break that has just completely knocked them out of their stride because they were slightly wobbling going into it as well. But they need to go back because I think the Millwall game was a point where we thought, right, OK, all the needles are starting to budge the right way. And it again, it's just been chaos, hasn't it? Since 
But is this is that going to be this season? Like I said, is that going to be? Is it going to be lose, draw, lose, draw, win all the way through now? Yeah, and I suspect it will be. Um, to to be honest, or at least until January. I mean, I've I've still had one or two people uh, on Twitter raising to me, just saying, you know, is is this season a missed opportunity? Is there a lack of investment? And I th- we've talked about this before, but I just think. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm I still think that the approach they're taking this season is is completely understandable. We, we've talked about this in the Q and A, and I think that keeping hold of the the money is is entirely understandable at a time like this. I think if you introduce too many new players to the side, things end up going even further backwards before they go forwards again. And yeah, it's I'm I'm I mean we've talked about this, Dave, and we said last week. Before we even talk about the transfer window, I think we need to see... We know that there's more to come out of this team that's already here. And I think Mm. that that is more important at the moment, particularly given that we've got so many games in December. That really should be the priority before you even start thinking about what's happening in January. And I I don't really get the missed opportunity thing either, because if you look at the championship table at the moment, the three teams that came down from the Premier League are in first, second and third place. Yeah, And... Below them, you've got Swansea here, a playoff side. Reading, who are surprising everybody, but I would say are slightly regressing to the mean now, and I'd be extremely surprised if they were there come the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Bristol City have got a massive squad and a huge wage bill. We remarked when Town played and that they could basically have two 11s in this league. And then just outside the playoffs, you've got Brentford, who are Brentford. Yeah. <laughs> so we're always going to be there or thereabouts. And then, you've got Stoke who have, and then you've got Stoke who have a billionaire owner and could afford to go and get a load of players in the summer when nobody else could. So I don't really get the missed opportunity thing. I think Town could have gone and spent a load of money invested, but they would still be changing their philosophy. They would still be changing the playing style. They would still be changing the makeup of the club. All the coaching staff would have changed. They would have been changing the fitness regime. I don't see how it would have been much different. They might mm. be three points better off, which would put them about ninth or tenth. But I don't see it as if we'd have gone and spent twelve million this summer on four first team players, we'd be up in the playoffs and flying it. I just don't see that level of progress from just buying a couple more bodies. We both know Town Squad is a bit thin, but I don't think it's... I mean, it, 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 look at who they've played Saturday. Middlesbrough haven't used loads of players this season, and they've got quite a tight squad as well. I think the quality is mm. slightly better than Town's overall, but I just don't I don't get the missed opportunity thing at all, if I'm honest. And again, this is... The, the whole reason that they're doing this is because if you go and sign a load of players, then players like Ramani Edmonds-Green don't get a, a look in. You know, if you've got... And we saw with with Jan Goran Stankovic last season. You know, there's an argument that if they hadn't signed Richard Stearman in January, maybe Jan would have been interested in staying at the club. Because my understanding of it is that he he simply wanted to play first team football. And whatever offer Town would have made, he'd he'd you know he'd been with the club for a number of years at that point, and and decided that he needed to look elsewhere to get first team football. So. I think that there is a, a risk as well when you're trying to bring through young players and they have so much faith in the, the, those academy players 
that that you you end up blocking their their path and I, I'm I am I'm aware here that I am just repeating what the club have told me, but I actually think that in this case specifically, there is actually validity to that argument. Not to say there aren't. I mean, we've talked about how they desperately need that winger and wanted to sign Rolando Aaron's and so on. Mm. Um, so we we're not blind to the fact, and you know, we've we've talked about how Bakuna at this point needs replacing really. Um, but so there is work to be done. But I mean, look at Forest. How many players did they sign in the mm. in the transfer window, and they're struggling just outside the relegation zone at the moment? So it's not the Quite, answer to everything. It, it, no, you know, Derby have been historically very heavy investors, rock bottom. Um, you know, Coventry are the ones who recruited very well over the summer and are doing okay keeping their noses above water in this league. So investment, it's not like we're saying investment doesn't work in certain contexts, but I just don't see the context for town being that they should have gone and spent 15 million in the summer. I really don't. And I don't know about January. I, I'm I'm sort of almost convinced that it's Rolando Aaron's and probably no one else. Maybe alone mm. if the right, if, if Bakuna goes, I think January it's going to be Rolando Aaron's and anybody who goes, goes there's a chance of them being replaced yeah. but I don't think it's going to be right well we've got Rolando Aaron's now we're going to sign a striker and we're going to get another midfielder and we're going to get a right back who's better than Dehaney for cover and we might get a goalkeeper I just don't think it's going to happen yeah. at all I think it will be Aaron's and replacements and I think replacements could possibly even be working the loan system just to get through to the end of the season when they can replace properly but this isn't Corbyn's squad yet. You know, he, you need a couple of transfer windows to assess and know where you're going to be. And but yeah, I just, I just don't get that. I, I just feel like if Town had spent 12, 15 million, I think they'd probably still be either 11th, 12th, or 13th. Yeah. Right, Magic. I think that's it for for this week. Uh, do we? Unless we. Yeah. Right. We should probably just have a quick word on Cardiff before we go. Uh, it's a, those I think Kiefer Moore is a is a <laughs> a worry because with Stearman out that's probably Town's best aerial player ruled out for this game. Uh, are you worried about that in particular, Dave, or do you have any other concerns about the Cardiff game? I don't know what's going to happen in this game because Cardiff are the Championship's other chaos club, um, so it, it's it feels almost impossible to predict. To be honest with you, you've got. You've got two clubs who could win every game they go into 4-0 or lose every game they go into 4-0. Uh, the, the two coming together could possibly open a portal to hell. I really have no idea what's <laughs> going to happen here. There we go. Right, Dave, you are the owner-operator of Ockley Books, providers and publishers of fantastic football books. What have you got on at the moment? Uh, Christmas sale, loads of stuff, loads of new stuff, loads of cheap books. Buy a book. There you go. Lovely. Ockley Books. I'm good at the advertising, Anna. Yeah, simple and to the point. Very Ron Seal of you. Don't buy Ron... Well, do buy... We are are ambivalent towards Ron Seal on this podcast. There we go. Right, we will see you... I like it. (laughs) Yeah? I think it's delicious. (laughs) Brilliant. Don't, Don't drink varnish. Right, that'll do us for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Mmm, Ron Seal. Who to be a, 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 who to be a